A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The optimistic and encouraging thing about this body of work is like, oh, we can understand why we struggle with the things that we struggle with in relationship, but we can also go, okay, it's also within my power to learn other ways that might be more akin to secure relating, uh, secure functioning skills that allow us to kind of repair those experiences where we might not have gotten our needs met or we might have developed these fears and kind of forge a new path forward for ourselves. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is the podcast exploring the chaos, confusion, and clarity that comes with life in our 30s. I'm Bridget Hustwaite, and for so long now, I have wanted to punch out an episode on attachment styles because it's something I've been exploring quite deeply with my psychologist. I mean, in the last two years that I've been seeing her, we've been analyzing my behaviors and my emotions and figuring out like the origins. Uh, And my psychologist actually sent me a few podcast episodes of On Attachment. It's by relationship coach Stephanie Rigg. And Stephanie is joining me for this episode to provide you uh, a bit of an introduction to the attachment styles. It's a a mini crash course. And in the show notes of this episode, I'm going to link all of Steph's stuff because she has got obviously so much more to say on it. And she's just got, yeah, some incredible podcast episodes, uh, a PDF guide that you can get off her website that will go way deeper into, you know, attachment theory, the styles and how essentially they impact your life and your relationships, how they can influence heartbreak and rejection and why it's also important to regard attachment as a spectrum as well. We get into that. But for me, to give you a bit of context before we get into learning about each type, um, if you're wondering what my attachment style is, I am like pretty fiercely stuck in the anxious attachment box. And I don't know if that's going to be a surprise to you. I, I don't know if people will think that I would have more of a secure attachment style, but absolutely not. I overthink. I overanalyze. I fear rejection. I fear abandonment. And That also leads to a lot of avoidant behavior from me. Um, I get jealous. I really struggle with regulating my emotions. And honestly, I feel like I'm really feeling the effects of it lately. Like I've just felt a lot of lows recently, which is, yeah, it's weird because I obviously paint a lot of highs on my Instagram and there's a lot of great stuff happening in my life, but I just feel like I, I fully can't like... I can't breathe properly at the moment. My ang- my anxiety is getting the better of me and I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed and yeah, I'm just not like emotionally slaying <laughs> to put it simply, but uh, I, I, I guess at least I'm kind of aware of it. I'm retreating to the Mornington Peninsula this week to do some writing and I hope that time away will just help me a bit, but that's honestly just a bit of a snapshot, I guess. Yeah. So A, you know what my attachment style is and B, I guess maybe how it can affect me, how it is affecting me right now, because it definitely is. And I know it will get better, like I'll get to a a better place, but you know how you just got to like ride those waves of the anxiety. My anxiety is so hectic at the moment that I'm getting chest pain from it. So I'm really trying to like, recording this right now for you, actually, I just took off 
a gorgeous face mask that actually made me feel really good. And then I had a bath, but I've had to have like my heat pack, just like been cuddling my heat pack um, to kind of just rid that chest pain. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people listening will probably be like, you need to go get it checked out. And like I have done so before. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a bit at the moment, but anyway, we're going to get into this episode chatting to Steph really helped me and also heads up. She has the most soothing voice, like the perfect podcast voice. And yeah, if you're not across the whole concept of attachment, I think this will help in kind of making sense of it and then also help make sense of relationships, our conflicts. And look, maybe it will even serve as a bit of a prompt for people to kind of reflect on where opportunity lies in improving those things in improving relationships and navigating uh, moments of conflict in a better way. I don't know. Hopefully you find this interesting. I loved talking to Steph and um, yeah, let's just get into it. It's Attachment 101. Steph, thanks so much for joining me to provide a bit of a crash course on attachment. It's great to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, before we get started, I'd, I'd love to actually ask you as a relationship coach, and maybe I'm putting you a bit on the spot here, but are you noticing anything that people in their 30s are seeking guidance on when it comes to relationships? Are there any common issues for people in this decade of life that you've observed? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you asked that. I actually recorded a podcast episode last week, specifically answering the question, which I get all the time, which is like, I'm in my particularly like mid thirties and I've just gone through a breakup. And now I feel like this overwhelming sense of fear and dread and panic of restarting. So I think that certainly a lot of what I see people coming to work with me or doing courses and stuff with me, it's like this sense of the timeline. And particularly if you feel like you are for whatever reason, not keeping step with where you think you should be, what you think your life should look like, you know, relationships, like, you know, getting engaged, married, kids, all of those milestones that we, a lot of us have in our mind, particularly when we're younger, we have this idea of our life trajectory. And to the extent that we feel like all of a sudden we're not conforming to that vision, I think a lot of anxiety can come up and stress and scarcity uh, and then from those emotions, I think a lot of us go, is there something wrong with me? Why is this so hard for me? Why does it look so easy for everyone else? Uh, so I think it's really easy to, for those sorts of thoughts and feelings to take root and really chip away at our self-esteem. So that's definitely a theme I notice uh, among people from like kind of mid thirties onwards in particular. Yeah. I mean, I got to say I was in that exact kind of situation leading up to my 36 weeks before like end of a relationship panic, thought I had it settled and figured locked in before turning 30. And then yeah. that's kind of what led, I guess, for me to kind of dive in, you know, by going to therapy and seeing and seeking guidance for me in my situation, which led to my attachment style understanding. So I'm like uh, anxious avoider and I guess how it will go into it, how it can influence the way in which you navigate a breakup and having that time to yourself again. But we'll we'll go from the start. What is attachment theory? Because I see, you know, you are a pro, you're the queen on all this, your content's amazing. I'm seeing attachment theory, I'm seeing attachment styles. Are they the same thing? Are they separate, like under the same umbrella? Yeah, they're, they're under the same umbrella. So attachment theory is sort of the body of work and attachment styles are this key concept that emerges out of the theory. Um, if we were to go back to the very beginning, attachment theory emerged in the 1950s and was really looking at like infant caregiver dynamics and the ways in which 
certain parenting styles and you know, ways of responding to attachment cues in babies affected the development of those babies and their sense of security. So that's really where the body work started. It was only quite a bit later in the 90s that it started to look at adult romantic relationships. And I think that's what most people who are coming across content on attachment and attachment styles are now thinking about that in the context of adult romantic relationships. And that's very much the focus of my work. Um, But attachment styles are basically, you know, emerged from research where they observed that people's behavior, babies, because that's where the research started, tended to fall into initially three and then they added a fourth category or kind of themes. And I think it's important to say that, you know, because people can get very attached to labels and like, oh, I'm this, but I think I'm also that and da, da, da. And I'm always very quick to reassure people, like, it's not, you know, categorical. It's not, you know, people say, is it possible for me to be this and that? It's like, of course it's possible. It's you and everyone's different. Um, So it's always, we want to tread carefully around anything that is, you know, predicated on labels and categorizations because it's always going to be a bit of a blunt instrument. That being said, there are these broad themes that emerge in how people tend to, you know, the way that I like to describe it is, you know, what types of things cause me stress in relationships or what types of things feel threatening or overwhelming to me and what are the types of strategies that I've developed and that I, you know, my, my default or go-to strategies for managing that stress. Uh, And so when looking at that question, we see people broadly fall into these four groups, which are the attachment styles. Yeah. And so what are the four groups, the names of them? Yeah. So we can start with secure attachment, which is, you know, what ideally we would all be if we had all had the, you know, all of those attachment needs met most of the time and had developed this secure attachment. So people with secure attachment patterns, which is thought to be about 50% of the population, which I'm skeptical on, but maybe I know my data is probably really skewed because I'm just being inundated with all of the insecure people all day long. Um, But I don't know. I'm not seeing like one in two people being secure, but anyway, that is what the research suggests. (laughs) Um, But again, I recognize that I've got probably skewed data on that. Anyway, so secure attachment, people who have a secure attachment style are likely to broadly trust in the safety of people and relationships. So it's like, I'm comfortable in myself, but I'm also comfortable in relationship. I don't experience relationships as overwhelming or threatening most of the time. Um, I can respond to other people's needs and I can also let them know what my needs are and I can you know, feel comfortable doing that. I can share my boundaries. I don't have a lot of anxiety or worry or concern around what it means to be in relationship. And I trust that, you know, if we have conflict that we'll be able to repair it well. So it's just this sense of ease and trust in what it means to be in relationship with someone. And from that place, it's just like everything flows relatively naturally. It's not to say that you'll have a perfect relationship, but you're sort of okay with advocating for yourself and responding to another person's needs working through conflict. It's just like, oh, there's a a steadiness to it all, which makes relationships feel quite easeful and natural. So that's the gold standard. And that's what we are working towards um, in trying to work on our attachment patterns, because we are able to develop more secure patterns. And that's another, I suppose, introductory point to be aware of is that because all of these things are learned, our attachment styles are really just sets of strategies or behaviors that we have adapted into. So from a very young age, we've gone, okay, 
Um, this, these types of experiences are things that are overwhelming or threatening to me. Uh, and these are the ways that I've learned to try and get my needs met or try and, you know, get out of that stressful situation. So they're just behavioral adaptations in response to a set of circumstances, right? Mm. And so that's really encouraging and optimistic because it means that it's not some fixed part of us. It's not like a diagnosis. It's not like a condition. No, it's just like it is uh, kind of um, an operating system or a blueprint Mm -hmm. that we will go to by default if we don't know any better and we don't have any other tools available to us. But it's not a life sentence and it's not like set in stone and like, oh, that's just how you're always going to be, so you better learn to live with it. Um, I think that is the really, yeah, the optimistic and encouraging thing about this body of work is like, oh, we can understand why we struggle with the things that we struggle with in relationship. I have a lot of compassion for that, but we can also go, okay, it's also within my power to learn other ways that might be more akin to secure relating, uh, secure functioning skills that allow us to kind of repair those experiences where we might not have gotten our needs met or we might have developed these fears and kind of forge a new path forward for ourselves. Yeah, I feel like that's such a important thing to highlight, especially when we get into the other ones. And as I mentioned, you know, how I kind of fall under anxious avoidant because mm. we, we are seeing so many more people kind of talking about this in a, a public sense. And when we talk about labels, it's almost I, I've definitely observed and I'm sure I've been guilty of it, too, is like when you recognize what you are and then you you, you say it. But it's almost as if you you can recognize it, but you're like, well, that's just how I am. And, and, and mm. that's just me in the sense that you're not willing to kind of, you know, mm. work on it or use it as an opportunity to unlearn some things and, yeah. you know, take on new kind of strategies. Have you noticed that in the way people, it's, it's almost kind of going into therapy talk and therapy language that we've mm. seen a lot um, publicized recently. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, well, most of the people that I work with are, uh, anxiously attached have an anxious attachment style and we can kind of go into what that is in a second Um, but it's sort of interesting to observe the the tropes of each attachment style anxiously attached people tend to like be so wanting to do personal development work (laughs) like how can I change myself how can I change myself I've got to do something about it I've got to do all the courses and read all the books and watch all the videos and like there's this like really ravenous consumption of self-help content uh, which you know, it comes from a lot of things. So I'll take a step back and go, what is anxious attachment? Mm-hmm. So anxious attachment is like going back to that initial question of what types of things cause me stress and how do I manage it? The types of things that tend to cause stress or fear for anxiously attached people is a fear of abandonment, um, unworthiness, people are going to leave me, no one's ever going to love me as much as I love them, uh, and this sense of you know, hypervigilance. And even if someone is loving me and showing up, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I can't really trust it or receive it because, uh, you know, the anxious attachment origin story, and of course it will be different for everyone, but a really uh, common theme for a lot of people is inconsistency. So I had enough love and connection in my family system to develop an overall positive impression of what it means to love and be loved so I've got like yes relationships are good I love them but I didn't get those needs met enough of the time to be able to trust in the reliability of it so it's like oh sometimes you're here and that's amazing that feels so good and then sometimes I reach for you and you're not there Mm. and so I become really 
stressed and hypervigilant to their conditions and going, okay, what, why weren't you there when I needed you that time? And I become increasingly focused on everything outside of myself and just like, how can I try and control things so that I can keep you close so that I can keep you happy. Uh, and so the anxiously attached person becomes very focused on the other person and on the mm-hmm. relationship and just, you know, how can I gather information? How can I essentially try and establish a sense of control and eliminate any uncertainty or risk because I don't trust in myself to be okay if you're not here. And so I just have to keep you really close. So that's kind of like, you know, a very quick, uh, quick and dirty, what is anxious attachment, but that's kind of the overall look and feel of anxious attachment is like, I really value relationships. I really want to feel loved, but I don't trust it. And so all of my fears come up around, you know, any sort of hint of disconnection or you know, a partner might be in a bit of a bad mood or they're, you know, you might be texting someone and there's a certain rhythm and then they don't reply for an hour when you've been texting back and forth. And so that, that will be enough for most anxiously attached people to go into what's, what's happening. Um, is there something wrong? To, <laughs> is it right? It's like, oh, did I say something? Did I do something? And as soon as there is distance or space, there is like catastrophic thinking and panic mm. and increasing levels of activation in the body. And it becomes very like something bad has happened because I can't reach you. And I was in this mode of connection and that felt really good. And all of a sudden I'm in the void and I feel really, really out of control. And that terrifies me. And that gets at those very early wounds around inconsistency and abandonment. Ugh, you articulated that so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 like my personal lived experience. So whenever people say that, because that is kind of the focus of my work is anxious attachment, people are like, how do you know you're inside my head? I'm like, I'm inside my head. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice to hear yeah. as well from a, like yeah. from your space and line of work. Because and I was saying to you this, saying this to you before we kind of switched the mics on, so to speak, but in, in a, pu- a public, you, you're, you're making this a public facing kind of role. It's really refreshing. And I think validating for people who aren't, you know, trained in that area of professionals to kind of have that, um, yeah, that relatability to you on, on a different level, because yeah, it's all fine and well in practice, but to have just that extra layer, I think is what's well, really comforting for me as a, a listener, as someone who does go to therapy. So I can't yeah. imagine that'd be easy for you though, to kind of speak on or like, you know, you, you know, it's not something that I ever really hesitated to do because I think that, um, it is definitely something that allows people to connect more with my work and Mm. for me it would almost feel inauthentic to like just speak from a soapbox and be like oh you probably suffer with this and pretend that like you know I'm all can't relate (laughs) (laughs) that would be terrible for you I'm so sorry Uh, but no it is I think that like that that humanizing I guess the other thing is that it'd be kind of um, hypocritical of me to not share that when I'm telling people to not be ashamed of their own stuff, right? Mm. Uh, And I really, truly believe that it's not something to be ashamed of um, because it's not a defect. It's just like, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And that's really like the, the heart of all of this is if we can zoom out a bit and, of course, when we're in the thick of it and we're like spinning out and we're stressed and we do something crazy like text someone 50 times in a row when we can't, they're not answering the phone, then we have like the shame hangover of why am I like this? Of course, it's easy in those moments to really be hard on ourselves. When we zoom out, we can look at it in context and actually go, you know what, it makes a lot of sense because that was like, 
bringing me into contact with this really old wound or this thing that I've been carrying for a very long time that feels big and scary and overwhelming. So I was just doing whatever I could in the moment to try and create some semblance of safety for myself. And I think when we frame it like that, and that will be true of, you know, any behavior in any relationship, any attachment style is when people become increasingly stretched, afraid, overwhelmed, they will just do whatever they can to create safety for themselves. And I think that is really conducive to a more compassionate lens, both for ourselves and for other people that we might be in relationship with, because it allows us to kind of depersonalize it and just go, oh, okay, like I might not love the behavior and I don't have to give myself a free pass to just, you know, be a little uh, roguish when I get stressed, but I can forgive myself because I was just trying to create safety and, and maybe I can help myself out with some better strategies for next time, but I don't have to punish myself uh, and beat myself up because that will actually just add to all of the heaviness that's already in my system. And having that awareness is just so powerful in itself. You know, that is a huge first step. Um, yeah. So, okay. We've got two down because so we've got secure, anxious, two to go. Okay. So at the other end of the spectrum from anxious attachment is dismissive avoidant attachment. And I should say as well, there's a lot of different variations on the terminology that you'll hear. Mm. So anxious is like anxious, ambivalent, anxious, preoccupied. Um, there are several others and avoidant, dismissive avoidant, um, you know, then what you described, anxious avoidant is also referred to as fearful avoidant and disorganized. So there's lots of different terms, um, but I'll just go with the ones that I usually use for consistency. So dismissive yep. avoidant is at the other end of the spectrum to anxious attachment. And that is usually. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Um, in terms of the origin story, is someone who had their emotional needs kind of denied or, or neglected as a child. So that might be parents who, you know, for generational reasons, for cultural reasons, or just because of their own attachment styles and patterns, you know, didn't really nurture a child emotionally, you know, mm. might've told them to stop crying or even teased them or ridiculed them if they were scared or upset, you know, really encouraging like toughness and, kind of very being very stoic and just, you know, stiff up a lip, chin up, that kind of thing. So there's the child learns very early on that they're not going to get what they need. If they reach out for emotional support and connection, they are not going to get what they need and they might even get, you know, rejected, shamed, ridiculed. And so they go, okay, well, let's like turn that tap off because that's just too painful to deal with that level of grief around not having those needs met. And how can I channel my energy into you know, behaviors or approaches that might be more inclined to get me those connection needs met. So you'll see that a lot of dismissive avoidance are probably more focused on like achievement or other outward things rather than their internal world. Um, so they're often very accomplished and career-driven, ambitious and high-achieving. 
um, but quite underdeveloped emotionally because they just didn't get that nurturance from a young age. Uh, They also tend to be very independent, so they'll have a sense of not really needing anyone, again, because they didn't have like they, they didn't have anyone that they could rely on. So just from pure adaptation, they go, okay, how can I learn to be really self-sufficient and autonomous? Uh, and so when they then come into relationship, and I think it's important to recognize that avoidant people, because I think they get a really bad rap and it's an important part of my work mm. to try and destigmatize that a bit. Of course, I understand that some of the behaviors, you know, like stonewalling or ghosting or those really extreme expressions of avoidance of course those are you know unskillful and harmful at times um, but we still need to understand like what the the underlying story is there because mm. if we're just like saying well like you're bad you're an asshole and like that's why I'm never dating an avoidant person again uh, that tends not to like do much for anyone <laughs> it doesn't yeah. really help anyone on either side to like to understand what's going on there and to have compassion and to actually build more secure relationships. So uh, avoidant people want love and connection just like anyone else does, Mm -hmm. but they might have different ideas of what that means. Uh, And so for them, they might not have a lot of emotional needs in a relationship in terms of talking about feelings. They might be happy with just like, you know, kind of an arrangement where you live together and you're companions and you you know, spend quality time together and you do activities, but there's not, there might not be a huge amount of emotional depth in the relationship. Um, And they might be quite sensitive to criticism and blame and any, like the, a core wound for a lot of avoidant people is feeling like a failure, Mm -hmm. Um, feeling like nothing I do is good enough. You're always upset with me. I'm trying, but you're always just pointing out the ways in which I'm failing. And they get very overwhelmed very quickly. And then they can just go like, you know what, too hard. Um, And, you know, we can also talk about in a bit, like all of these things tend to be exacerbated by the fact that most of the time anxious people will end up in relationship with more with people with more avoided patterns. And so we have this like tussle of conflicting extremes in many respects that if not handled skillfully can just lead you spiraling into your, you know, very like oppositional, competitive, like, you know, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. Someone's the villain, someone's the victim, that kind of mindset that obviously not helpful or productive. Can you also see if like, can emotional labor play into this as well? Because when I hear those two uh, particular attachment styles um, and I've actually like through conversations that I've had with people, I feel like anxious people are more likely to perhaps feel that they're putting in more emotional labor because they want to understand. And this is the thing when we go into relationships too, like if people are going to, you know, make that effort or whatever to get to know which attachment style they kind of identify with and then they obviously would start thinking about the significant people in their lives it it can get really tricky I think when you're like well my partner is this one but they have no idea and they're not doing anything about it and then you kind of spiral even more like is that a common thing it's so common it's funny you say that I I have a podcast episode that 
was from a while back, but I was revisiting it literally yesterday because I was uploading it to YouTube and it is like answering a listener question of how, like, how can I, and should I tell my partner that they're avoidant so that they can start doing the work? How is that going to go down? (laughs) I know. And like, how do I navigate that? And like, what if they don't want to hear it? And and my, my answer to it is kind of two pronged. It's like, be careful, not just because like whacking the label on someone might not be well received, particularly someone who already probably feels like a project because a lot of anxious people do have that tendency to like just try and fix someone and that saviour complex of like, oh, I'll just like massage you into the version that I see you could become and then everything will be good. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Uh, And so I think it can come with like a weightiness to it. Um, like, look, honey, I found this great online course about how you could become more emotionally available, like going to probably come across as controlling and manipulative, right? Yeah, and like, yeah. If we're being honest, like there is a part of us that is trying to control someone else's prog- process in that. Uh, so I think that we just have to be really mindful of like how clean our intentions are in sharing that with someone and to share it with them and be like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested in this and I've seen so much of myself in these patterns and I can totally own the fact that, you know, I, I might overreact in these ways or that I have these sensitivities. You know, I also see aspects of you in this. What do you think? Um, but I think offering it up from a place of like, I, I want to share this with you because I think you might find it interesting rather than like, I'm trying to be a puppet master and like funnel you into what I think your process should look like. And, then being really judgmental and disapproving of you if you don't like love the podcasts that I'm listening to and want to read all the books in quite because people have different ways of doing that work Mm. um, and different you know like some people might really really love that and want to just like consume heaps of relationship content others not so much and that doesn't mean that like they don't care about the relationship or you know any other number of judgments that we might put on it um so it's, it's just like a, I think it is important to be honest with ourselves about what we're bringing to that conversation and whether mm. we're kind of inadvertently trying to control someone and, and shape their path. Um, but it's, you know, equally you're allowed to, you're allowed to want to be in relationship with someone who is self-aware and, and growth oriented. Um, so it's part of that is also just taking responsibility for your own values in partnership and making sure you're aligned with the person you're in relationship with. Uh, and I think that the loving thing is not how can I change them to make them more like me? It's like, can I make sure that there's, you know, alignment in our respective values and that we're kind of doing that in a way that is making space for both of us to be here rather than like, you have to come over to my side and see things from my perspective. Otherwise you are wrong. Yeah. It is a tricky thing to navigate, but I think, yeah, just thinking about like, how can I better myself and how can I maybe just create a space where they can feel like they have that um, ability to show up as their best selves too. It's, but it is, oh my God, it's so tricky to navigate. Like that is, that can be some murky waters. (laughs) Big time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we've got one more. What's the we final? Do. So the final one is the fearful avoidant or anxious avoidant, as you said, or disorganized is the other term for it. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who really desires, like they essentially exhibit aspects of both anxious and avoidant patterns. Um, and while we can all exhibit aspects of both, there's something like it's more than that, right? It's more than just 
oh, sometimes I'm this and sometimes I'm that. It's thought to only represent 5% of the population, so it's by far the least. Wow. Um, yeah. And it will often be, often but not always, will be people with um, like abuse backgrounds so, or like complex trauma. Mm. Um, so I suppose the the best way to put it would be the majority of people with those complex trauma backgrounds or abuse or neglect in kind of severe expressions would have this attachment pattern, um, but not everyone with this attachment pattern will have those that background. But it's essentially like I I really desire love, but when I get it, I'm terrified and I push it away um, and I like become you know, when I'm single, I might feel like really stable and steady. This is kind of a more high functioning version rather than people with a lot of you know, complex trauma and other things. Mm-hmm. I might feel like pretty good, pretty solid. Like everything's fine when I'm single and then I get into a relationship and like all of the skeletons come out of my closet and everything feels really churned up and dysregulated and I feel really out of control. And I like can see my partner is just like the devil all of a sudden. And there's very bad person trying to hurt me, even though they aren't, um, but I have such a big fight response and, and can feel really easily threatened by someone that I'm in relationship with. And so there's this push-pull, um, often in the very same moment. It's like, I want to, I really want you to go away, but I'm also terrified of losing you. Mm. Um, so it can feel really conflicted and really, really challenging. It's it's thought to be the most challenging one to experience um, just because it's not coherent like anxious attachment is challenging but it's kind of consistent like I'm consistently um you know it's organized that's where the disorganized label comes from like the other strategies are organized in the sense of like they're kind of cohesive and it's broadly the same thing over time Mm -hmm. Um, whereas having the sense of there's no real consistency to it and I can't really predict or manage my patterns very easily because they're so all over the place and um, there's this real sense of emotional chaos. So that can be really challenging. Um, and as I said, there's obviously a spectrum there on more severe expressions of that when there's been other stuff going on in the history. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people people with that attachment pattern, um, again, can be really sensitive to feeling blamed mm. um, or defective or broken because they tend to have a lot of shame and guilt. And that's, that's probably the differentiating one of the, obviously one of the differentiating factors between a more dismissive avoidant is um, the fearful avoidant has a lot of guilt and shame. So they might act out and like, you know, lose their temper or storm out or do something kind of big and, and reactive, but then feel immensely guilty about it and feel a lot of shame. Whereas a more dismissive type tends not to have that um, level of attunement to other people's emotions, whereas no. the fearful avoidant has a, like is really, really um, in a similar way to the anxious person, like very tuned into what other people are feeling. Um, so that there are a few key differences there. And I suppose the other thing to say about the fearful avoidant is that they um, will, if they're in relationship with someone who's more avoidant, they might experience more of their anxious expression Um, whereas if they're in relationship with someone who's more anxious they will tend more towards avoidant strategies right so they will they're kind of quite responsive to who they're in relationship with and what fears come up and and what strategies they lean on in response Mm -hmm. to that 
So when you're talking about like that kind of stuff, I'm immediately thinking of our like star signs and you know how like some star signs are more compatible, you know, more compatible with others and whatnot. (laughs) Is it, is that the same with attachment styles or you can, you can make it work with each one? Yeah. So I think that, um, starting point, any people who are wanting to be in a relationship and have the like self-awareness and the commitment and the intention to like do the work. My starting point is like, mm-hmm. yeah, any, anyone can notionally make it work. It's not just like doomed, call it off, like walk away. It's never going to work. Yep. <laughs> uh, of course there are like individual circumstances where you can look at it and go, okay, there's clearly just something here where for whatever reason, like try as you might, you're just not getting there. And like, sure, you could keep trying and trying, but people who've been in really painful cycles for, you know, years, it's like maybe it's time that we just recognize our limits here and for whatever reason, like we're really struggling to make this work and and maybe we just like go and accept that. Uh, So it's Mm -hmm. not like staying and trying is always the right thing, but I think as a starting point, yes, I am personally of the view that we can look beneath the label and just try and understand each other and, Um, build something Mm. that being said secure people tend to be with secure people Um, that's just how it works so then the rest of us are left with each other Um, and as I said before what tends to happen is that anxious people tend to gravitate towards more appointed people and people often ask like what why would we put ourselves through that pain like why wouldn't we just like (laughs) stick to our stick to our own kind and um, at least we'd understand each other and not have to like perch on our opposite extremes I think the reality is I mean we we don't have time to go into all of the the extent of it but there's something about there's a guy at Stan Tatkin who is you know a a pro in this area and he said something when I interviewed him on my podcast which was like the bite fits the wound and so it's like oh right it's it's very like you, you can really picture it right and so like oh yeah it really it's like we click in together like puzzle pieces and that can be bad news or it can be really healing if you have the yeah. capacity to um, kind of meet in the middle so like you know, to give a really quick example for anxious people as I said like any sort of distance or space feels really threatening avoidant people love their space so it's like oh okay I can either experience their space as really threatening and become further entrenched in my fear or I can see this as an opportunity to build up my own sense of capacity and, and safety and trust in my ability to navigate space and aloneness, which feels scary for me. So it's kind of like, or, you know, on the other side of when people struggle with emotionality, anxious people tend to have pretty big emotions. So it's like, Mm. oh, that's an invitation into how can I hold space for someone who's having big emotions without running away from it? So Mm. the opportunity is there if both people have the maturity and the like self-awareness to actually stay in those discomforts rather than just projecting and blaming and, you know, turning it into conflict and blame. If we can actually um, be courageous enough to step forward into the opportunities that those dynamics offer, it can actually be really healing. So it's not easy work, but it is possible. And I think that there is like, there is a real opportunity in those dynamics to heal almost in ways that maybe we wouldn't have, Um, if we were in relationships that didn't trigger those things. So it's not to say like, oh yeah, go seek out a relationship that like triggers the hell out of you because that can not be, (laughs) it's not, that's not the goal. But equally, I don't think we need to shy away from the things that bring up our stuff because there might be um, something that needs our attention there. 
Yeah, no, that's really reassuring and um, super important to highlight. And again, remembering that these styles, it is like a spectrum, right? And Mm -hmm. do we have the ability to transition through different ones at different points Mm -hmm. of our life? Like, you're not, as you said earlier, like we're not just, it's not a life sentence. Like you can move through through them. Yeah, you can. And it is a spectrum and it's it's situational. So like in certain, Mm -hmm. you might in friendships notice more avoidant patterns, but in romantic relationships, you have really anxious patterns. So that could be a thing. Um, So it's really like, again, most people will broadly have a blueprint and that's just because it becomes kind of like muscle memory. It's like, if that's always the thing that I've done, then that's always the thing that I do. Um, But it is certainly something that can fluctuate and, and be more flexible. And when we bring it back to that question of like, how am I responding to stress in a way that I think will create safety for me or get my needs met? That's really all we're doing. So if I'm being more avoidant when normally I'm anxious, it's like, oh, I feel so overwhelmed that I just want to pull away. If someone's being really like a friend, for example, is going through something and they're being really emotionally dumping on me and I don't have capacity, I might notice myself having a more avoidant reaction of just like, oh, push it away. I can't, I don't, I don't want to be in this right now and I need to create distance. And that's my way of creating safety for myself. So that might just be Um, something that comes up in a certain setting or in response to certain behaviors. Um, So it is certainly flexible. And I think that um, being less focused on, on the labels, as I said, and more focused on just like, okay, if I notice that fear is coming up for me or insecurity is coming up for me and I'm acting in ways that feel out of control, overwhelming, or, or just that I know are really driven by fear rather than kind of integrity, what can I offer myself and how can I cultivate more security? Yeah, hundred percent. This has been, Steph, a stunning introduction and there's like, there's so, so much more to get into. You need to do like, you need your own friggin', have you, have you done a TED talk before? <laughs> oh my God, you kill it. But you of course have got so many resources and I'm keen, I'll link a bunch of different ones because I, I love you've, you know, touched on things like how these um, can impact and shape your sex life and breakups and all that. So I'll yeah. pop that in the show notes of um, the episode. You've got so many of your own um, podcast uh, episodes that are super helpful. But this has been a great introduction, I reckon, just like really breaking it down um, and giving mm. a 101 on attachment. So thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I really hope you got something out of that one. I absolutely loved talking to Steph and like I said, she needs to do a TED talk or something. I could have been asking her questions for hours, but wanted to just give you a little brief introduction and kind of lead into all of the stuff that she's doing. So yeah, check out the show notes of this episode. I'll put the link to her podcast and also a link where you can sign up to receive her PDF guide on attachment. I found it super insightful. So Stephanie Rigg, I'll put her Instagram too, because she puts up a lot of video content there as well, um, unpacking some concepts and ideas and just heaps of really handy shit. We love handy shit. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustaway. This podcast has been created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and it is an entirely independent project. So if you've got any time, if you like what you're hearing, uh, if you want to share it with any of your friends, and if you would be so kind to leave me a quick review or rating, that really helps the podcast reach more people. 
and yeah it would mean the world so thank you i will be back with you next week and hopefully i'll be back on the microphone feeling a lot less anxious and more calm and secure and (laughs) relaxed um i'm sure i will but i'm gonna get going to the mornington peninsula i'll catch you next week bye Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.